Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. I'm Amy. And this week, we have a very, very exciting guest. We are welcoming James Anderson to the table. No relation to Hans Christian Anderson, I assume. D- nope. Uh, S-O-N. So uh, another another country entirely. Well, but good. Hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> It's not Welcome. a match. Is that uh, is that uh, topical uh, enough? Uh, match. I said the that's, word. With that's the... a good callback. I love I Thanks. love the callbacks. Thanks. We love that for us. You definitely don't overstay your welcome, like Hans did. Oh, gotcha. I was like, <laughs> you don't even know how much I'm going to overstay my welcome. Yet. You don't know me. That's a second appearance thing. Us in three hours. Like, can we not? Can we just go home now? Chapter one. <laughs> okay. First letter. I disagree with it. <laughs> James is just a great human, wonderful Twitter conversationalist. So top tier, 10 out of 10. He's hey. much smarter and just more dedicated in general than us. He's half of the podcast that I've talked about a few times on here, Timeline Scavengers. Yay. And also a host of James and Aaron Minute Movies yeah. and Frankenstein's Jukebox. Yeah. And uh, and and I love being guests on, uh, on podcasts because I don't have to do... Uh, any of the hard stuff like uh social media or introducing guests it's awesome Fabulous. <laughs> yeah is there anything else you want to plug off the top we'll give you plenty of opportunity at the end as well i mean you know the, the only other thing aaron and i have a number of podcasts that are sort of on holdish we have a nanorimo podcast that's not November, so that one's irrelevant. But Blink-182 has a new album coming out this year, I think. So uh, my podcast, Blink and You'll Miss It, where I talk about every Blink-182 song and related bands, but each episode is uh, no more than five minutes long, uh, should be coming back uh, this year. So I love that. I think that you should be like a podcast namer and just like name a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> Thanks. I was about to say... <laughs> Like, I thought we were clever when we came up with Unsighted because we're like, haha, we're not a sighted podcast. Funny. No, this is, you are just, you're on the ball, man. Thanks. I just started grad school this month. So Unsighted oh. feels like it's right where I'm living right now. So, uh, yeah. I want to say both congratulations and I'm sorry at the same time. <laughs> Career change. Uh, I figured two decades and then I'm going to get into the job I actually want to do. So we're enjoying grad school so far because I like cool. to um, learn the things that I'm learning now. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Crushing it. Nailing it. Took some time. Do you want to share what field yeah. of study you're in? I uh, I am going from environmental chemistry to school counseling. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm going to be... Is that where you are too? I did that for about three years. I was an academic advisor um, at a oh, university awesome. here in my redacted hometown. Mm-hmm. So I did like the whole like, you know, telling university students basically what to do with their lives. Fantastic. Um, and how, which courses to take and stuff and how to progress in their future. And it's a lot of fun. It's the most rewarding thing that I've done. I'm shooting for middle school. Oh, that's going to be so precious. I think of it as the hardest level. And so I'm like, let's do this. Let's get in there. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about it and nervous. And even back in the summer when I just made my decision, I started mowing the lawn and talking to myself like, you can't go in there hoping to be the cool one. Don't even think about the cool one is an (laughs) an irrelevant conversation. Just you're already like, just like pep talking myself. And I wasn't even in I hadn't even been accepted anywhere yet. So like the way I live my life is when something makes sense, it's the only thing that makes sense. And so I'm going to pursue it. But also if I can't think of anything else, I'll just put my head down on something I hate for 20 years, apparently. 
So that's where I am. And uh, reading the book we're reading this week from a perspective of I'm going to be perhaps helping children in this level was a weird, daunting thing, but kind of a good thing, too, because, you know, anytime you can be like Paul Rudd, I feel like is. uh, Yeah, is. And I don't know if we're all aware of this, but in the movie, Paul Rudd's character's last name is Anderson. Yeah. Like my name is Anderson. That's fantastic. That's who I'm related to. That's awesome. Fictional Paul Rudd. I love that. And there is like there's a middle school counselor in the book and kind of I I guess it's not as it's happening but like in the flashbacks yeah there's like a bajillion trigger warnings for this book oh, we'll get into it I just want to say I'm really hoping that like I get a couple years under my belt or all of the years under my belt before I have to have like a group session like they have at the beginning of this book because yeah. it's like come on yeah I think you know it's incredibly rewarding to help people figure out you know their feelings and their lives and I commend you for it it's like Thanks. a big jump it's going to be so much more rewarding than trying to do that uh, as a chemist where they really would rather me just be looking at the papers and seeing if they're right or not. And instead, I'm like, let me do orientations. Let me help the other people on our team feel welcome. And my boss is like, no, just do your do the job. Please just do the job. And I'm like, let me in on interviews. And he's like, for the last time, no. (laughs) You're like, I want to do extracurriculars. I'll do all of the stuff except for the uh, work that you want me to do. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you could probably choose to do anything and you're choosing to help people. I think that's very admirable. I like this podcast a lot is the thing. This this is a really uh, motivation. This already pretty motivational uh, (laughs) podcast for me to be on. And so thank you. Thank you. That's an artifact of my excellent uh, faking skills because I can't do almost anything at all. So feeling good. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into like the nitty gritty stuff, because we haven't already, I want to talk about my clean language for the month. So this is the first episode that's going to come out in February. So I have a clean language, which is a segment we've done forever. (laughs) So I recently reupholstered my kitchen table chairs because the last time they were like fabriced over was when like my parents were younger, like 35 years ago, and they were like a mesh green. I can't (laughs) explain it. It was yucky. So I reupholstered them with this beautiful fabric from Ikea. But in this process, I learned that sometimes drill bits get stuck in the piece of wood Mm. that you're working with. And there's a way to unstuck this drill bit. So I learned this the hard way because my drill bit got stuck in the chairs. And I went to pull on it. And as I was pulling on it, my hand, the back of my hand where my thumb is, hit the other side of the chair on the corner. Okay, interjection. Yeah. Your thumb is not on the back of your hand. Well, no, the back of my thumb. Okay. Like the top of my hand. So the spot between the like knuckle and the wrist, I guess. There's a nerve that passes there, so it's really fucking painful. So I learned that there's a way to do this, and it's by using pliers. So instead of just yanking on the drill as you're pressing on the button trying to get it out, what you do is you use your fancy dandy pliers, and then you use that to twist it out because the motor of the drill is not doing the work. And just pulling it out is not helping anyone. So you have to twist it out. So we learned that the hard way and I'm sharing with the team so that we don't have to be injured anymore. That sounds clean language. Dreadful. Yeah, that was clean language with Amy, a piece that we've always done forever. And if you think we haven't, then uh, you're probably crazy. Or something. Did you hit your thumb on the back of a chair? I didn't come on here expecting to be gaslit so thoroughly, (laughs) but uh, I should have, I guess. (laughs) I love that you cursed on your segment called Clean Language, and I really just want to appreciate that and point it out because that's very, very good. It's very Franco-Ontarian of me. Love that for me. Yeah, yeah, it's on brand. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how I would have done the same thing, I think. Like just been like, all right, and we reverse the drill and just like pull. 
Yeah. I would have hit someone else behind me, though. That's how I like I would have been a full elbow like thing. Uh, Yeah, but it still hurts. It's been a month. Oh, my God. So this is health facts with Amy. Nerves take at least four months to heal. Mm. Minimum. So it's probably going to be like this for like, you know, a year at least. A year to forever. Yeah, a year to forever. Well, this has been nice and horrific. Um, (laughs) I feel like the clean language is just don't use drills. You know, like glue Mm. works equally well. No, no. I feel like the clean language here is don't. And no offense, James, Mm. don't act like a man and just use force. (laughs) I never, ever, ever think that act like a man is the right advice. So like none of none taken. (laughs) So like think ahead. Like the clean language here is I made the mistake and now you're getting the feedback. And how do we unstuck a drill? With pliers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We twist it out. Get someone else to do it is sort of how I'm where I'm coming from. Like also a good option. Yeah. I just yeah. Duct tape. I think duct tape is my second. Like there's nothing else Mm. to be done. How does duct tape strike us as an upholster? And then that's when my wife steps in and she's like, here's the best (laughs) option. And I'm like, there we go. We drew it out like uh, with a duct tape trap. Like people make prom dresses with duct tape. So you could actually make the upholstery with duct tape. Sure. I will say we duct taped a a chair that we had in college with like a crisscross duct tape, multiple colored thing. As a sitting medium, (laughs) it is not great um, because it starts to like curl in and then Mm. it starts to like catch clothing and like skin Sticky. and stuff so yeah uh, yeah yeah i bet it sounds crispy to sit on maybe like lacquer it lacquered duct tape resin it's very popular yeah you know, yeah people love resin on the instagrams love it yeah so yeah. it's very comfortable in. yeah yeah <laughs> super glue is also a really fun tool for home mm. things for sure. um except one time Uh, This is a second clean language. We're getting a two for one because we have a guess. It's fun. I like this. This is good. This is my favorite story. I had just started my master's degree the night before my first day of class. I'm super gluing a light to my ceiling because I couldn't make a hole in the ceiling because it was cement. Long story. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have super glue on my thumb and my nose is leaking. So I wiped my nose with my thumb and I had super glue on my nose for my first day of class. And that's how I made my first friend. She was having a bad day and I was like, well... I super glued my nostrils together last night, so one of us is doing better than the other, and it made her laugh. You're kind of lucky you didn't super glue your thumb to your nose. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I realized when I smelled it, I was like, oh no. It sort of looks like you were trying to sniff glue and did it wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sniff glue gone wrong. Yeah. My roommate at the time thought it was funny. So shout out to her for that. I think it's funny, but I don't want to show it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm I'm like the kind of person that you're like, wow, Amy, what are you doing with your life? And then you go like, it's funny, but also I'm concerned. I'm going to start keeping a tally of the times you've hurt yourself in the stories you tell. And so far we're three for three. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the ankle will yeah. probably come up again. So I'm just going to bring up the ankle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, Still broken. But speaking of things that happen in high school. Like the first time I broke my ankle. (laughs) Excellent segue. This week we're talking about Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Chbosky? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm super excited about this. I, I love the book. I love the movie. How how are we all feeling? This book is the book that I used to give to absolutely everyone. Just like I have to give a book to someone. 
perks. I've stopped that as I've uh, entered my third and, and you know almost fourth decades. But like it's a go to like it's a go to favorite. And I'm old enough that the movie was something I have lo- hmm, all in live journal entries about the anticipation and speculation about it. Like Emma Watson, are we going to do like a, what are we doing with that? Yeah, so it felt like a weird choice. I think she did a great job, but it felt like a weird choice at the time. Apparently, I told the Internet back in 2000, you know, seven or something. I don't know. So yeah. Live Journal came up on the podcast, and I think we all thought that was for sure going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I read the book in high school in like the early 2010s, I guess, um, which mm-hmm. I think is when the movie came out. And it was in my prime Tumblr era. Mm, so yeah. like there were a lot of like fan edit quotes thing going on. Mm-hmm. So I was like really, really into it. Um, and like all my friends, we all watched it and shared it. And we talked about it. And I was like, oh my God, it was so good. Um, and like, it's a fairly good book. It's very well, like it's well written. It's engaging. Yeah. It's short. Like it's hitting a lot of the marks. So I'm really glad that we finally get to talk about it. Yeah. It's kind of like Catcher in the Rye, but less douchebags read it and quote it and and sort of uh, <sighs> represent it. It makes yeah. me feel the same as Catcher in the Rye when I read it to myself, but also I can talk about it with other people and they're not like, ugh. So yeah, it's funny you should say that because I actually was going to bring up Catcher in the Rye later because Bill Anderson says it was his favorite yeah. book when he was a teen. And yeah. I started to read it when I was a teen and I was like, okay, well, that's enough. And I just DNF'd it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a certain time of your life. It helped that I had a little sister and he has a little sister and there's a part in it near the end where he's like, gosh, I love my little sister. And I really like it because not a lot of people remember the part about like, gosh, I love my little sister. I, you know, I hope the best for her and stuff. They mostly remember the parts about all the phonies and whatever. It's a book for a certain period of time that maybe no one goes through anymore. That's okay. okay. They have perks of being a wallflower and that's good. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with two only children at the moment who are like, yeah, siblings. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, my my <laughs> sister is 11 and a half or 10 and a half years younger than me. So same and also not. So like. You had the only child experience for a fairly yeah. big amount of time. Yeah. And then you were like sprung into third being. Third parent, kind of. Third a little parent. Bit. Yeah. I was going to be like, yeah. were you parentified as a child by any chance? I was the cool parent. Just saying. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I came to this book really late in life. Okay. Like I didn't read it until after we graduated university, I think. Oh, wow. But I watched the movie around the time that it came out. And I liked the movie. And then later, I liked the book yeah. in equal or more amount. Mm-hmm. And just in general, like I would highly recommend it to anybody if you haven't read it. The audiobook's only six hours long, I've discovered. And it's pretty much available through like any libraries, Libby or Overdrive or whatever your library has. Who reads it? Chibata? It's a younger kid. Oh, cool. It feels like it's being read by someone of the age that Charlie is. That's very cool. I also don't feel bad about liking the movie as much as I like the book because he wrote the screenplay. Like the author adapted his own stuff. So I feel good about like, it's not a fight here. He did both of them. We're all good. That makes sense because it's a very faithful adaptation and it has the same vibe. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We usually go through a quick summary, so we'll do that. But first we have content warnings on content warnings on content warnings. Yeah. This Basically, everything you can think of being a content warning, um, Mm -hmm. we're going to say right now. So we've got depression, suicide, rape, molestation, abortion, death, and child abuse. And general sad. Can I add some? Yes. Yeah. Drugs, alcohol, um, mental illness, the early 90s. I don't know if that's a trigger, but it's sort of... (laughs) 
content warning, Amy and I might say that this was taking place before we were born. So if that makes you feel uncomfortable, just watch out. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's one of those things that like, it feels like it either takes place in the early 90s because Chbosky was writing from a place where that was, he was the age of one of the characters Mm. or they couldn't have cell phones. Yes. And this was written 1999. So like cell phones weren't like hugely prevalent and there was only eight years from when it takes place. So they didn't have a lot of, okay. All right. Some summary should probably happen because I'm going to have a little bit of a crisis of of time passage right now. (laughs) Okay, so for Sabina Wallflower, it's a coming of age story about a boy named Charlie who's starting his first year of high school when we meet him. It's written in epistolary format. So he's writing letters to us and we are like an imagined person who he heard about one time from someone at school and he believes will listen and will be better than a diary. But like he doesn't want us to figure out who he is. So he's using all fake names. We get to follow him basically like through the ups and downs of his grade nine year. He's just lost his best friend Michael to suicide and he starts out in a pretty low place. But then we get to see like he makes his first new older friends who are seniors named Patrick and Sam. He goes to his first party. He has his first date with a girl in the friend group named Mary Elizabeth. He gets his first kiss with Sam. He takes his first drugs. Very exciting. He works through some insecurities. He learns a lot about himself. But then we also see him have like a lot of heartbreak and like loss and trauma. And he talks about a lot of dark secrets in his family. And we watch him go through all this conflict with his friends and eventually it all culminates in him figuring out that he's got this deeply repressed childhood trauma that he didn't even know about for a long time. Yeah. So I think the best way to go through this because it's such a character driven book is to kind of go through it like character by character and talk about their stories. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, what did you like about the book? I like how innocent it is, but not naive Mm -hmm. or the opposite. I'm not really sure. Like it feels like reading it now as a 39 nine-year-old some of it i was like that's a little bit of a faux naivete sort of like deal but like a lot of it feels like he knows that we the reader of the letters know what he's talking about but he's just discovering this thing or he's like you know I'm excited about this but I don't really know what's going to go on and we're like oh we know what's going to go on like he's like uh, he eats pot brownies and he's like they were special brownies and I think you know what that means (laughs) and then just moves on which he feels really relatable in a way that it doesn't need to mean anything that I I felt fun. I found all, a lot of the characters relatable. I know that I like a character or a book resonates with me when I go back to like, oh, that's like this. Because like there's this thing that's established where he has an immediate crush on Sam. Like, yeah, he finds out that yeah. she's not dating Patrick and is, in fact, his sister. And immediately it's like, all right, all systems go until she's like, you're too young for me. And so yeah. from the rest of the book, he's like, I'm too young for her. Got to move on. Gosh, I like her. Gosh, I love her. Whatever. Got to move on. She said to move on that one time. And at the end of the book, he's like, but you said that I'm too young. She's like, that was at the beginning of the year. And like, we've done all this stuff. We've had all these adventures. And I'm that way. Like, if you establish a rule until you establish a new rule or cancel out the old rule, that's the rule. And like, it serves me pretty well most of the time. And sometimes it makes me look unhinged a little bit where I'm like, but you said six months ago that whatever you said four years ago that whatever. And my wife will be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) 
<laughs> like that doesn't have any context now. Why are you still? And I'm like, but you said so. That's the thing. I just have like a you know the standard rule for this is this, and I don't change anything. And I find that really relatable. This is the first time I've read the book, understanding sort of some of my neurodivergent tendencies. And Charlie has a lot of them that I all see myself. Some I don't see myself, but like I was telling you on uh, on Twitter that this is like neurodivergent fantasy, realistic yeah. fantasy, <laughs> where it's like, are you neurodivergent? Don't you wish this is how everything? I mean, like not everything obviously but like a lot of his interactions are like and then i said this weird thing and they were like haha great and they moved on and we we're still friends it's like how you'd want to lay it out right he's friends with like the weirdest people in the school basically he's friends with like the outsiders yeah so they're more keen to like be accepting of his quirks yeah the quirks of being a wallflower they should call it the quirks yeah. of being a wallflower that's, <laughs> that's a very like astute observation because like so i read this like right before i graduated high school and then i went to university where i met Chantel. And I found the like, <laughs> I'm an unhinged person, just in general. You've met me now, Yay. you know this. And like the amount of like, I want to say shit Chantel has put up with throughout the years just because of who I am as a person. Like I'm very non sequitur. I say weird shit all the time, but I never felt like that was like a bad thing. Like I always felt like that was like my superpower when I was around like Chantel mm -hmm. and our other friends. And now that like you're putting it into words of like, you know, this is very much like a, a fantasy of what it's like to be like neurodivergent and have like your friends just be okay with it and be like, yeah, that's just who you are as a person. You know, that's very much how my university experience was. And it was kind of nice. Uh, minus like most of the trauma. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> could do without the trauma. <laughs> like it's a fantasy in, in that like magic, but none of the dragons. <laughs> yeah, um, none of the hard work. But no, it's nice to come back to it now and have that like realization of like you can have people who love and who care about you. It doesn't have to be this thing that's unachievable because you have those people in your lives. Yeah. So Yeah, the relationships feel very real. And I think that's what I like about it is that like all the relationships and all the people feel like real people. Like every character yeah. has their own really fleshed out backstory and like all of them have their own traumas and I think a lot of that has to do with like Charlie as the narrator because like Bob and Patrick say he's a wallflower he sees things and he understands and then he tells us about them so like right. he understands these people not as two-dimensional side characters in his life he understands them as like their own people doing their own things I think that's a really valuable perspective for us to have from him and he brings a certain depth of empathy as well like not to every situation of course no Nobody can do that. But like the fact that he he does talk about like people's lived experiences through his eyes, nonetheless, but like that he's not necessarily dismissive of them, I think speaks a lot to like his ability to feel what other people are feeling and empathize with their realities to a certain extent. I absolutely agree. Like in this kind of book, you kind of expect it to be like, oh, my dad's a real hard ass and he, you know, oh, he likes the brother that plays football and whatever. But that's not what you see. I mean, you see a little bit of that, but the dad's also like crying at the last episode of MASH and sort of trying to, you know, not have that, but also not like, don't look at me like, you know, this is our little secret, whatever. And I think that another way I relate to Charlie is if you listen to me on any podcast about any pop culture or any culture at all, you're going to hear a point where I'm like, but what if the villain was redeemable? What if this villain could be like better? And it, sometimes it doesn't happen because they're like Red Skull. And it's like, eh, maybe the ship is sailed on that one. But like... <laughs> 
it's a weird thing to read. Like his sister dates a guy that at some point hits her. Yeah. And then she keeps dating him. And Charlie says, I guess he stood up to his bully. And that is such a heartbreaking, clear eyed, but also like it's such a complex thing to think and to write because it's like, don't hit people. You know, that's, of course, a generalization. But like this is a thing where it's like he's seeing even in where he could just dismiss this guy as this guy's an asshole. Get off my property. If you come back, I'll kill you sort of deal. He doesn't do that. He's like, she told me to mind my business. I'm minding my business. This is what I'm thinking. It's funny that they're like, you keep everyone's secrets and you understand. And we know that because he's telling us all the secrets. Yeah. <laughs> he's writing them down. Yeah. Explaining all the all that stuff. That situation with his sister is so complex because I think what he does is he like tries to rationalize why things are happening. He doesn't try to like change what's happening really, but he's like, okay, why is this person acting the way they are? So like with his sister and that boy, she was like yelling at him and Charlie like recognizes that she's mean to boys. That's like the first thing he says about her in the book. Yeah. And she's like, why do you never stand up to your bully? Like even Charlie stood up to his bully and that's when he hits her and then they start dating after that and Charlie's like, oh yeah, okay, I guess that's why she likes him now. Yeah. But he knows it's wrong. Yeah. He comes from a place of, God, I never, I really never thought about how much I identify with this kid. I'm, I'm probably wrong about this. Like he's like, this must be how this works because I don't know. I don't know what the dynamics here are. I've never dated anyone. I don't know what's going on. So this must be how it works. Almost like a, like a Jane Goodall sort of like, I'm just observing this sort of like nature documentary but it's people like him but he doesn't know what's going on so it's like a lot of the things he he deals with are like oh weird so i guess this is something and he internalizes it yeah it's like anthropological yeah exactly he's like doing a sociological observational study of just the people in his life yeah but that's also like a very real trauma response for sure separating yourself from who you're observing and like who you're supposed to be interacting with absolutely like that's a way to like protect yourself because you're like i'm not a part of this Um, and i think at the end you know once he like confronts his quote-unquote demons i don't really like that term but i'm using it like he gets to fully experience what it's like to be alive with the people that he loves yep it is empathy as camouflage it's like if i understand the game and i observe for long enough i can play the game even though i don't really get what's going on because i've seen enough of what's going on yeah he's like a chameleon and it doesn't really matter to him if he's chameleoning in with the background or he's chameleoning in with the people around him but he's always like changing the way that he's behaving to kind of make himself acceptable to people well Chantel, you and i were talking about this like the mirroring of like other people like he doesn't necessarily mirror everyone sometimes he's just like a background but like he does mirror the social setting he's supposed to be in like he does conform to it he masks to it Mm -hmm. because that's the easiest thing to do because anything else literally brought him to the hospital like you know so right he doesn't trust his own instincts yeah and so then he maybe makes choices like staying in careers for 20 years i don't mean to make this about me i'm sorry i just that's fine this is like becoming a therapy session it's great let me just call my therapist yeah it's lucky that patrick and sam are great yeah because what if they sucked so let's talk about patrick and sam because patrick and sam are like the major focus of the book charlie really emphasizes his relationship with him like when he wants to bring them over to his place and his girlfriend tags along mary elizabeth he's like i but i really just wanted my parents to meet patrick and sam and like he gives them presents and he's like you're the most important people to me in my life yeah Mm. so what do we think of patrick and sam i love them i mean they are my favorite i love them very much flaw 
flaws and all, I think. Yeah, they are very flawed. I think they're the perfect friends for him. Mm -hmm. So like a little backgrounder because we didn't really talk about them. Sam is the one that Charlie's in love with. She's got her own trauma. She was molested by her uncle as a kid. And then she seems to have been kind of dealing with that by trying to like regain agency of her own body and like choosing what she does with it. So she's got a bad reputation at school. His sister calls her like a blow queen. And I think that's really a reflection of like how unfair and how judgmental people were and like still are to girls and women. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that expression's very 90s though. I've never heard that expression before. Like it wasn't a part of our growing up, I think. I have to keep telling myself it doesn't mean cocaine. Like, I, that, <laughs> I mean, it could also. At another time, a blow queen would have been something else, I guess. Or maybe the same thing, but for different reasons. Listen, we don't need to get into that. That's not part of this book. A little bit like, of column A, a little bit of column B. It's fine. <laughs> a lot of column C, if you will. Um, that's a cocaine reference that no one <laughs> makes. That's a that's not a jargon. That's nothing. <laughs> I hadn't thought about Charlie as an unreliable narrator before and how he might sort of sugarcoat a little bit how Patrick and Sam are versus how we might see them from a third like a third person perspective. Mm-hmm. Like he might be like, they rule also this other stuff, but mostly they rule like <laughs> kind of deal. I mean, they do rule like the things that we see her do. She's really nurturing to him. Like when he someone gives him a pop brownie for fun at a party and like they don't tell him and that's very illegal and wrong um and she's like charlie how are you feeling like she's the only one who doesn't laugh at him for wanting a milkshake and she goes upstairs and makes him a milkshake she's just like really nice but she's also got a lot of her own stuff going on like she goes out with that older guy for most of the book and then finds out he's been cheating on her craig craig we hate craig Also, just like older guys who go out with high school girls that I'm not a fan of in general, but that's a whole I other mean, thing. I mean, most yeah. of the time it's illegal. So there's also yeah. that. Um, I mean, listen, the illegalities in this book are myriad. I mean, some and some of them are fine and some of them are not good. Yeah. Like pop brownies, like we come from a place, long live Canada, where weed is legal. And I say this as somebody who's never had weed because I'm allergic. You can tell because she's saying I've never had weed. <laughs> I've never really done anything at all because I realized really early that I was going to get addicted to stuff really easily. So yeah, fair. smoking, drinking, drugs, no thank you, none of that. But like still like underage weed is not legal, mm-hmm. right? So like I think there is a lot of like nuance here sure in like our modern age and whatever but like that's still a really shitty thing to do to someone and like the fact that sam was able to like this is a shitty thing there's nothing we can do to reverse it at the moment so let's write it out you know and i think that's a really that's a she is really kind to him and i think Mm -hmm. like part of that is i find that the people who go through a lot of shit in their lives have two streams take it out on other people and the super empathetic ones who like the selfless self-sacrificing kind of people and i think she falls very staunchly into the self-sacrificing empathetic kind of person which is what charlie needed i think Mm -hmm. as a person but it's still like she's kind of tragic to a certain extent you know like she has all her shit and you know she does all these things but like in the end she just wants somebody to understand her and love her like anybody else right yeah i mean i think this whole book in general is just like people are people and everyone has their own stuff but everyone's just like doing the best they can and it's like pretty hopeful he's like i'm i'm gonna do the best i can and i want you to believe 
that I'm doing well and I'm going to believe the same for you. And I'm going to believe the same for Sam. And I think she is going to do well because she's a really nice person and she lays out for him what she's planning in the future. She's like, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I'm not going to let anyone decide how my life is going to go. I'm going to decide now. Yeah. I also think it would be really easy for um, Sam and Patrick to be like, okay, we've adopted this little grade nine mm-hmm. and we're just going to teach him stuff. Kind of like what Mary Elizabeth does. And that's not what they do. They're like real friends. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think point. that it's that at first and then it stops being that at some point. I think once they, he's amassed enough secrets, it's sort of... <laughs> <laughs> I, that sounds like he's blackmailing them. He's not, but it's sort of like he's in grade nine technically, but like he's someone that we trust. And so it becomes a different relationship. It's kind of like he dug his own grave or like they gr- dug his grave with him because they're like, oh, like we have this grade nine. We're like, haha, we're adopting him. It's cute. It's whatever. We're teaching him about life. And then they're like, oh, we are here now. Like, he is ours. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about this. This is just who he is. We love him. He's part of the gang now. It'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think Mary Elizabeth is dealing with a lot of wanting to be worshipped or, like, adored, I guess, is a yeah. much more fair way to say it. Like, so she's like, look at this cute grade nine. Do you think he'd want to kiss me? Which yeah. is a thing that can be thought. That neither Patrick nor Sam approached Charlie from that angle. Like, you know, you should want me because I'm an older woman and I'm all these you know, worldly exotic ways. And don't you think that I'm cute? I'm going to dress you up and you can do my lit mag stuff or sorry, uh, zine stuff. It's the 90s. And there's a level of remove from her that I think is what keeps like Mary Elizabeth is the one that breaks my heart the most because she's so posturing as an adult. Yeah. And she's not one. I think the thing with her is that we don't really learn about any of her traumas like him and his main group of the core three friends Mm -hmm. they all have really deep-seated traumas of things that have happened to them i don't think mary elizabeth has that and i think she's both like not as mature because of it but Mm -hmm. also like she just didn't have to be like yeah it's that thing someone i know and her mom had a conversation about how that person i know i feel like i'm charlie now (laughs) hadn't been through anything tough and so didn't have any like memories of childhood didn't have any sort of like coping mechanisms of dealing with stuff because she hadn't had any trauma or you know intense things in her life and i think that's such a weird thing like i think it's true i think it can be true but it's such a sucky conclusion that also feels true that it's like she She's had maybe a better life and so she's less prepared for when things are tough in in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Like they shouldn't have to be so prepared. They should have never had to go through what they went through. Right. I also, there's an interesting bridge here between Mary Elizabeth and Craig. Bear with me. Mm. So they're both like, you know, older people are dating younger people, right? And we Mm -hmm. we harp on Craig because like he's a piece of shit because he is. Yes. But in the end, like both of their their reasons for dating younger people, whether like it's Mary Elizabeth or Craig here, have to do with their own insecurities to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mary Elizabeth needed that adoration from somebody who, and she could get it from somebody who was younger because he was naive. And Craig, I'm guessing, because we all hate him, like probably (laughs) isn't the kind of person who like gets a lot of validation from people his own age Mm. because, you know, that's who he is. So he tries to get it from somebody who's younger. And there is like a certain distinction to be made here within like, you know, age of consent and whatever of course mm. but like right. a lot of people who groom younger people is because they need that validation and the only way they can get it is from somebody who's young and you know 
moldable. Yeah. So I think, you know, Mary Elizabeth has a lot more redeeming qualities because I think like she's less sleazy, I guess, about it. Right. But aside from that, like they're very similar in their their way of existing within the book. And you try not to look too hard at like our Charlie and Sam trying to sort of get a do over on the people that maybe um, were the cause of or source of their traumas, Mm -hmm. like the older man and the older woman sort of like, let's try, you know, subconsciously, let's try this one again. Yeah. Yeah. But that is something that I think is is for sure there. I mean, it's also there with Sam for Charlie, too. Yeah. Where it's like we hear about Susan. I think is one of his peers that is not in the picture for very long. And then I don't know if there's any other like peer women in his life. It's all these older women because he's starting to hang out with this group of people that there aren't people his age. It's like it's sort of like dazed and confused a little bit where it's like he doesn't have any peers. So it's all older people and the weirdness that can come from that. Yeah, I think the the thing with that and who they're seeking out is like it's two things it's from their end like they've been through all this stuff so they feel like they're more mature mm-hmm. so they can't really relate to people their own age and they seek out older people right and at the same time like statistically people who have been abused are more likely to be abused again than people who have never been abused being abused for the first time so it's right. like there's something that makes people who are abusers see other people who have been abused and think like that's someone I can take advantage of. And it's yeah. nothing inherent in the person who has been abused, but it's like right. just a predatory thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also like behaviorally, people have gone through trauma, you know, the whole like, oh my God, you're so mature for your age. It's like, yeah, it's the trauma. Old soul. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't, you know, an old soul. I wasn't mature for my age. I was just traumatized and doing my best. My soul was aged against my will. <laughs> yeah. Like I aged up real <laughs> quick and I had to figure out life. And I think part of that, like, that's a red flag for well or i guess a green flag for abusers i don't know that's a complicated metaphor it's red on one side and green on the other yeah but it is like it is a marker of you know oh like you're you're an old soul therefore like you've been through shit that tells me that i could probably manipulate you because you don't have ways of interpreting the world that are healthy you don't have like your confirmation bias here doesn't Mm. work in the same way that other people's would so when you see somebody treating you like shit you think i deserve to be treated like shit this makes sense for the course this person loves me because i'm being treated the way i expect yeah and we know this is a high school level book because if i may address the theme that is printed not on every page but if you look at the spine of the book it's i'm joking but like we accept the love we think we deserve is the major thing that's going on here and Mm -hmm. for better or worse And I think that like for better or worse is sort of like it's actually it's a green flag on one side and it's a red flag on the other side. Not to pat myself on the back, but I think that's a pretty good symbol for a lot of stuff that goes on here because it's like, oh, good old Charlie. We can tell him secrets and he won't tell anyone. That's the opposite side of good old Charlie. I can do whatever I want. and He won't tell anyone. Yeah. You know, this is a secret between us. Right, Charlie? Right. And he just doesn't say anything to anyone, which is not good. Ooh. I didn't catch that. That's really bleak. The bleaks of being a wallflower for sure. <laughs> yeah. But like that, that's a, a very real thing. So I, I went through hashtag trauma TM as a child. And like I am an only child. And I was at the table for a lot of like really adult conversations. Like I knew people in my family who were having affairs because I was just around <sighs> them. And people just trusted me not to tell anything. And they were like, wow, you're so mature. You're like, you're so good. You're just not going to tell anything. And it's like, yeah, but I was also like, I had these huge huge adult secrets put on my shoulders at a really young age which is not hashtag healthy um at all Mm. so that like really skewed my perception of the world and how i interact with it and how i trust people because i was 
privy to all these things that adults were doing to hurt each other at a really young age. Yeah, and that really skews your perception of like what kind of treatment is okay because it's like, oh, well, everyone hurts each other. Right. You know? I mean, I didn't think that I was going to bring up the who on this particular podcast, but this is Tommy. Tommy goes through a bunch of trauma and goes, you know, he loses his vision, speech, and hearing because he sees such intensity that all his sensory stuff shuts down. And as you were saying, then he gets taken advantage of again and again and again and again because of that because he's like oh defenses up and then everyone's like hey his defenses mean that he can't see anything great here i come do 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 tommy's a rough a rough story but uh yeah it's sort of like in acclimating to the intense stuff for instance that you heard at the dinner table it's like you got an immunity but that immunity like let's worse stuff in or like it's like a it's not an immunity it's more like a you gave you gave day passes to all the you know, related trauma, not you gave means sounds like it was. A no, thing, I get like, it. It's fine. Everyone sort of received the password on what had happened. And that's really, really tough. And I'm sorry that you went through that. That's uh, that sucks. It's like I, I shared the Google link with people like I did like anybody with this link instead of like doing actual share properties. Yeah, that's how that works. Um, but now I'm going to therapy. So I'm like doing all right. Good. The whole thing's considered. <laughs> but back to like we accept the love we think we deserve. I've been thinking about this sentence and I think as an adult it changes meaning as to when you're like a teenager like when you're a teenager like it's very much like oh we accept the love we think we deserve and we think that it's a conscious decision of like you know we see Charlie we're like oh well Charlie thinks that he's like not available for love and like that's why he was molested or whatever like he that you know Mm. all this like conscious thinking but I think a lot of like as an adult and like through therapy or whatever a lot of this is like we accept the love we think we deserve is also very much a we accept the love we're pre-programmed to think we deserve right like it doesn't necessarily need to be a conscious decision like my partner can tell me that he loves me as much as he wants but that doesn't mean i'm gonna believe him you know like because of what i've been living through so it's not even like a conscious thing like i rationally i can know something right but how it actually feels is not the same and that's not necessarily a conscious decision whereas when i read it in high school it's like oh such a like such a conscious thing that he's going through you know right. like, like he's choosing this he thinks that he deserves to suffer exactly but that's not how it works. Every word in that in that sentence is a deep, deep well. Like, what does accept mean? What does love mean? What does think mean? What does deserve? What does deserve mean? Yeah. <laughs> and who are we? I think really yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you know, yeah. We, it's almost like we have learned to we normalize the love that we see around us almost or like we we normalize the definition of love that we've been brought up knowing this freaking book <laughs> that that opens up a whole other can of worms because the other thing is that charlie talks about how one thing can happen to you and then you can become two different people like he talks about that case study his therapist was talking about hashtag therapy and it was the alcoholic father who had the two sons and And one of them grew up to be just as much of an alcoholic as the father. And the other one grew up to be someone who never touched a drop of alcohol in his life. And they both said it was because of their father. Mm -hmm. So Charlie understands like it's not all nurture. It's some nature. And both of those have an equal bearing on your personality. Like we're set to be a certain type of person. And then all of our experiences in and outside of the house shape the type of person our 
like physiology or whatever is pre-programming us to be. Yeah. I mean, I very proudly quoted uh, Robert Frost in a thing that I turned in for grad school, which had no place, but I was like, screw you. I'm quoting poetry. Do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a dead poet society standing up on the desk sort of deal, but online. <laughs> and I quoted the road not taken because growing up, it was always like, yeah, take the road not taken like the indie bands or whatever. But the point of that poem is any road you take either one it makes all the difference and there's no value assigned to that it could be negative it could be positive mm -hmm. could have been your life would have been way better if you just stuck to mainstream like or not and you don't know and you'll never know and so it sort of makes me freeze up when it comes to making decisions but it shouldn't because it's all the same i mean it's not all the same but like it's the illusion of control that i'm trying to work on in therapy oh same you know? <laughs> yeah like can we have a group session <laughs> yeah i'm a quote-unquote ace therapy oh nice congratulations not not to brag but i think my therapist thinks i'm hilarious which is also a win and i'm doing great in <laughs> yeah it's been a trip but it's uh it's going you know i'm doing it i'm doing the work we're making yeah. progress i'm actively using what i learned in therapy now um it only took seeing myself as a case study for it to work very good it's the whole depersonalization thing yeah exactly yeah if i just look at myself as a, actually therapy and me applying for this counseling thing we're almost simultaneous so like yeah. in my application i was like all i had to do was look at myself as all the people i understood in my life that weren't me and i'm doing great now because i'm like yeah. i get them i just don't understand me yeah 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 it's like what advice would you give yourself like oh, if right. your friend was in the same situation what advice would you give them would you be so mean it, to your best friend amy no of course not but i'm gonna be mean to myself because i don't like myself as much <laughs> yeah but see if i was best friends with me then yeah i probably would be mean to me <laughs> that's why i make best friends with people that aren't like me in lots of different ways <laughs> so do we need to add some more trigger warnings for like getting too real or like uh raw uh expressions of emotion oh, they're used to it it's fine great 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 great, great. Good, good, good. content warning this is therapy <laughs> i think the other thing is like it's like the illusion of like when you're in the thick of it versus it was all meant to be because life has ups and downs and i think when you're in the thick of it you're like why is this happening to me and then when you're at a high point you're like okay well everything that i've been through up till this point has led me to this moment and it's like no your life's just a journey and you're gonna have high yeah. points and low points yeah life is a highway and we're mm -hmm. drunk at the wheel so some people want to ride it all night long and i just you know i just really <laughs> feel for them it's good for them yeah no i agree and like i haven't appreciated many 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 high points in my life because i've been like eh, i don't buy it same it's probably a low point in disguise like oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah well like if I can't be too happy because then the other shoe's going to drop. Right. Like if, I, if I'm too happy, then I'm going to be sad next and that's going to be worse. So if I just oh, stay no. sad or kind of like even keyed, then it's fine if things go to shit because I'm used to things going to shit. I'm not used to things going well. If I see it coming, then it'll be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, but but <laughs> I can tell myself that. <laughs> I feel a lot less alone, James. This is making me feel yeah, a like lot it. better about like myself. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not the only one in this like sticky pickle. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. So you're not doing what Charlie does where he like has a good week and he tries to save up as many memories of the good week as he can. Oh, I do that too. So that that gets him through the bad week. I try and do that too, just they get jaded. Yeah. It's like remember that good memory? Yeah, but remember how what happened next makes that good memory 
like all weird now. Oh man, this book. Come on. Next, we need to watch Inside Out. Inside Out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because Inside yeah. Out, that is what happens. She has like the good memories and then something sad happens to make the good memories sad and then sadness like touches the happy memories. And then she's like, oh, I had fun with my hockey team, but then I moved away. So that sucks. Now I don't get to see them anymore. Yeah. But in the end, she gets to have a happy and sad memory together and it's cohesive and it's okay because it's a full human experience. Yeah. Puberty. <laughs> Puberty. <laughs> All right. I, mm. So, okay. So, you know how I've been doing a, the something of being a wallflower? Like, it's sort of a fun That's running great joke. running joke. Uh, I almost said the pubes of being a wallflower because of puberty. And I don't want to have said it, but I also wanted to share that very funny thing. You don't have to edit that out. It's so just, we're definitely was... keeping that in. Good. Yeah. Uh, I... With the explanation. When I was thinking about being on here earlier tonight, I thought, is there going to come a time where I'm going to say something and have to say, please don't make that the title. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, probably. And so now, now here we are. But you make it whatever you want. To the make pubes it. of being a wallflower, I think, would be an excellent episode title. See, I was going to go with like the therapy of being a wallflower because like mm. here we are sharing. The perks of being a therapist. The perks oh. of being a therapist. This is good. No, I did think the therps of being a wallflower, but that's nothing. Because <laughs> therp isn't an abbreviation for therapy in any in almost any way. So um, it is fun to say, though. Maybe it's the perks of being in therapy. I like that. That's this very good. good. Yeah. That's where we're at. Or what is a blow queen? No, let's not do that. Let's... <laughs> the perks of being a blow queen. <laughs> and from an even-minded Charlie-esque standpoint, there are probably some. I mean, probably some. Is like, yeah. <laughs> I like the prolonged pause where you thought about it. You were like seriously considering, like, if I was a blow queen. <laughs> hmm. But not just like, not just one of them, both of them. Like you have to think about both perks. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It takes two, eh, just, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of. Uh, um, transition. Let's talk about Patrick. Yeah, Patrick, yeah, yeah, okay. Speaking of queens, let's talk about Patrick. Good. Love that. That's very good. <laughs> I always picture him as Heath Ledger. And I think it's because Patrick Verona in 10 Things I Hate About You. But I always picture Patrick as being Heath Ledger. Like kind of like mm -hmm. a long certainly not wh whoever it was he said knowingly that played him in the movie whoever that may or may not have been it's Heath Ledger now so um yeah that's a better fan cast y'all can't see my disgusted face anyways here we are this is not a visual <laughs> medium but everybody else can see it on the one hand we have Emma Watson and then on the other hand we have the other person whoever you're yeah, right I find it really relatable the part at the beginning where he's like this guy I just met his name is nothing oh my god isn't that hilarious like what a ninth grade thing to like he's oh man this is amazing what is going on here and later he's like i guess i'll call him patrick because that's what he introduced himself as which like <laughs> good excellent job way to make the shift call people what they want to be called but like that excitement over like this place is chaos i love it there's this guy named nothing it's amazing he made fun of the teacher and didn't even get in trouble for it like it's different from the charlie that is in most of the book i feel like yes he definitely we see him grow as a person i actually have had this experience i mm. had a person i was in like a drama it wasn't a club it was like it was you like know a how you take like classes like community classes yeah it was a drama oh, okay. gang <laughs> we would like rhythmically snap down alleyways and do improv yeah listen improv is more violent than i think anyone is willing to admit and that's a problem <laughs> that needs to be addressed what is going to therapy if 
not a big improv session. There it is. That's the one. <sighs> that's the one. We got it. We got it eventually because that's real. <laughs> Yikes. So I was in this drama thing and there was a kid in my class. We all went around in a circle and we introduced ourselves and he was like, my name's nobody. And then everyone was like, haha, nobody. And then everyone called him nobody for like the next six weeks. Right. And I did not know his name. I was also calling him nobody because I kind of forgot that that had happened. Sure. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's a, that's a fun name. And then at the end, the instructor said his name and it was, I don't even remember his real name because for right. six weeks we were calling this kid nobody. That's not really what happened to Patrick. It was kind of like someone else gave him the name, right? Right. I mean, he did the cool thing of not worrying about people calling him that, which I think is for sure like a middle high school thing, sort of call me whatever. I'm cool. I'm Heath Ledger. He was like, call me Patrick or call me nothing. Yeah. Because they were calling him something else. I think they were calling him like Patty or something. Yeah. The age old P-A-T-T-Y. Because of the homophobes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a weird uh, Patrick Henry reference, like uh, give me liberty or give me death. Call me Patrick or call me nothing. It's kind of a fun. Oh, uh, probably not. Maybe Patrick Henry last name. I didn't think of that. That's a good one. Yeah, he is gay. He has a secret relationship with the school quarterback. Brad has a girlfriend. No one else knows except like their one friend group. How do we feel about their relationship? Sad. It's so sad. Tragic. So I chalk it up to toxic masculinity, but it's, I mean, I guess it's homophobia and toxic masculinity, football culture and... A little bit of column A through D. Yeah. I think it's a very honest portrayal of like what would have happened with a relationship yeah. like that at that time with those types of people. Like I, they feel very real. Like yep. Brad feels like he can't come out because he's the high school quarterback. And then his dad is also really homophobic because when he finds them to together he like beats brad up right so a bunch happens and this is where ooh, you and i were talking before we started recording where brad's friends jump patrick and charlie defends him and like kicks all of their butts right it, there's these like wolverine moments in the book that are really i keep forgetting that he has like jean-claude van damme training um <laughs> where it's like i got really upset then i kicked everyone's ass then i cried and everyone got really uncomfortable not about the one part but about the other part because this is the society we live in that crying is whatever but like he goes for like throats and eyeballs like he doesn't mess around because his brother was like i mean i think his brother was probably like this kid needs some defensive instruction because like yeah. you know the part Part of being a wallflower where you're a flower and very kind of delicate and crushable is sort of, I think, something that his brother was addressing. He doesn't use violence extraneously, but like when he does, it's like yikes, like hospital levels of stuff. Yeah, like one on four and the one is winning. Right. And then after that is when like we see that Brad still really cares for Patrick. He's like, thank you for stopping them. Yeah. But he didn't stop them. It's tragic. Like the movie came out in 2012, which is like 13 years after the book. But the fact that those scenes still resonate and are still very real. And like even today, are like we're talking about them and, and they're not outside the realm of possibility is no. it's heartbreaking. And I think that's like part of what makes this book so... Uh, I hate that I'm going to say this timeless and classic is about how shitty people continue to be. Mm -hmm. It is though. Like the review on the front cover is once in a while, a novel comes along that becomes a generational touchstone. And I think that's what this is. And I think it is because it's timeless. Like it came out in 1999. It was set in 1991. So it was already pretty removed from when it was set. But like the things that were happening felt like things that could have happened when I was in high school, like yeah. yep. more than 10 years later. Did you guys relate to the Rocky Horror Picture stuff? Okay. So, when I was in Drama gang. high school, I started dating 
this guy and he like took me to this party with all his friends and they were like the cool outsiders like these people mm-hmm. are like mm-hmm. kind of the they're like the cool they go to parties and they do stuff and I was not like that I was like the academic drama kid who also tried to dress like I was one of the cool outsiders but yeah they were all like you're a rocky horror virgin I'm like I'm not entirely sure I know what that means <laughs> uh-huh so then did you go to a thing I watched it at home very quickly following that with my mom um, oh so that was fun that was a fun little experience and no I, I haven't been to a rocky <laughs> horror like show yeah. but I like the film i think it's fun yeah to be fair chantelle's mom's really cool so it's not weird oh okay good good yeah she's yeah. chill like watch bridgerton together level of chill <laughs> Okay, that's a good metric. Bridgerton season one versus Bridgerton season two is like a detail thing, but we can, uh, like I would watch season two with my mom just fine. Mm-hmm, both. And season one also, I could tell her is something that uh, is available for <laughs> viewing. Yeah. Um, so I've never been either, but I did meet people that had been in college. And I think that I get frustrated when there's like a secret code that people know that I don't really know. And in the theater when it's happening and everyone's doing the stuff on stage again i'd be sort of like get down i can't see the movie i'm fun but when your friends are watching the movie in your like dorm suite and are doing the things you're like this isn't you're just showing off now this is you're you're showing that you know the lingo and we're not in that situation and it's making me feel like an you know an outsider among outsiders and that's just no good i watched it in school with friends who were similar Uh, Chantel was there but we also had another friend at the time who was kind of like really into things in a pretentious kind of way uh-huh, uh-huh. and it was kind of rough because i like i didn't want to watch it because i mm, approved okay full disclosure um as a person i think you and i are very similar <laughs> yeah it's cool in many ways we can talk later but uh <laughs> i'll have your therapist call my therapist yeah it's cool my people your people it's great um, but i was like very like apprehensive about watching it in the first place and then i was like put into like this space with like people who were like very like open about all this stuff and i was like i am uncomfortable so i haven't watched it since and everybody anybody like brings it up they're like janet i'm like oh i don't want to be here but then we watched the princess bride and that was fine i think the thing about rocky horror is that like you're right it is like a language there's a lingo and i think it's interesting that like even the groups of outsiders have like an insider knowledge like everyone's just a click you know like there's the popular kid click but that doesn't really mean anything because people don't really care about who's popular there's like the football click and the drama click and the like outsider click and like the the I'm trying to think of the word for pot junkie. Can you help me out, please? Stoner? Amy? Stoner. Stoner click. That's what I used to call them. I used to call people who did marijuana pot junkies. That pot junkie sounds like a very good band, and I just want to uh, <laughs> dibs that right now. I'll give it to you, yeah. The stoners do marijuana, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'm fine. I'm a, they I'm partake a, of the weed. The, yeah, they, the weed smoking. Uh, then we're here now. <laughs> I was really cool. People love me. Can I say that the Rocky Horror, the thing that bugs me about that type of drama kid is I don't hold a lot of truck with weird for weird's sake. I like weird that has thought put into it and like is a deliberate thing. And I think a lot of the things that bug me, I think there's a lot of stuff I like about Rocky Horror, like the music. I really, really like most of it. But there's an attitude that's like, yeah, you squares are all weirded out and listen. Yes, you know, we were uh, as squares. We were 
weirded out by all this, yeah. like people, Susan Sarandon in her underwear. Like, I didn't know that that was going to happen and stuff. And then, you know, Tim Curry in similar underwear. Didn't know that was going to happen. But like, you know, Don't Dream It, Be It is sort of the Rocky Horror thing. And I think that's so cool. What a great message and whatever. But I think it has turned into a shorthand of like, you know, we're just not conforming to the societies, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, come on. But you're conforming to something now, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. I think part of it for me is I would have enjoyed it a lot more had I watched it by myself and not had all the external pressures surrounding me. I think I would have been able to appreciate it as a piece of art and been like, yeah, I see the hype. But because the hype is so put on me, I was like, I do not care. Like, I do not. It's like the same thing I have. I've never seen Avatar because I'm like, I don't Mm. I don't care for the hair thing or like the the hair sex thing. I've heard about it. I don't care for it. I don't want to watch that Avatar. Yeah. No, I've seen I've seen Last Airbender. Finally. Okay. Right. Have you seen Ferngully the Last Rainforest? No. If I may. I recommend Ferngully the Last Rainforest, which lacks hair sex, but which does have all the environmental allegory that Avatar has. Perfect. You're right. So I had notes on like his family too, but um do we want to talk about his family? We can always do a part two at some point in time. I think we can skip to the end probably yeah okay. um so at the end the story ends with all charlie's friends graduating and moving away and at the same time as that's happening he figures out through flashbacks that his aunt helen who's like his one family member who he loves who tragically died in a car accident going to pick up his birthday present and he's carried all this guilt about it his whole life molested him as a kid and he figures that out and then also his friends are moving away and then it picks back up as he's having a mental breakdown and then the epilogue is him like after he's been hospitalized and updating us on his life so how do we feel about the ending it recontextualizes most of the relationships in ways that people listening that haven't read it will have heard us already had those recontextualizations a little bit and it's another example of like what do you do when someone that you love very much did something to you that was really, really bad? Like, what does that do to the love that you've accepted from them? Like, is it now a lie? Are you still right for loving them? Like all these questions. It's an intense little, uh, well, it's an intense book, but uh, definitely an intense ending for sure. It is. I feel like we miss most of the part where he's angry about it. Like that probably happened while he was in the hospital. And then by the time we pick up with him again, he's like, I'm done blaming Aunt Helen. Yeah. But we never saw him blame her at all. So it's like we kind of like miss all of the worst parts of it. And we just get like where he's learning to cope and like figuring out his coping mechanisms. And he's like, it's not productive because if I blamed her, then I would have to blame like the person who did something to her and the person who did something to him. Right. And on and on and on forever. And like, everyone's going through stuff and some people do terrible things and everyone just needs to like deal with what has happened to them and I'm going to deal with with what happened to me. It's almost like that's the perks of having been in therapy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, everyone. That's been, uh, this has been an episode. <laughs> uh, I do think that that is one of the things that makes this sort of a, at the time it was like a, a young adult book, but I think it would be more of a middle 
No, uh, there's a new, isn't there a new genre? It's not new adult, new adult, uh, I guess. I don't know. Maybe this is still young adult where it's like, then he realized this thing, then therapy. We don't need to see that. Then coming out of therapy, like it's sort of like it takes out the part where it's like, there's some really tough shit that he has to go thinking about working on and whatever. And like, if this was a God, it'd be so weird if this was like a, just a literary fiction book, like just like for grownups and whatever, where like, you know, the third quarter is just 150 to 200 pages of him doing the work and like yeah. group sessions and stuff. But yeah, I think that it's, it's it's really interesting that it's like, you know, six weeks later, here I am perksing all over the place again. Here we go. I can't figure out whether it's sort of like it feels like a, a weakness in the storytelling or if it's a realistic depiction of like, I didn't write you because I was doing this stuff. Now here I am later. Like when you go back and look at journals and it's like, well, what happened right then? Because then you went away for a week and a half and then you come back <laughs> and you're like, well, that was an ordeal. Anyways, back to it. And you're just like, I wish that you know i don't know it's an interesting skip time sort of deal yeah like we get the play-by-play of him going to the parties and him hating flossing but we don't get like his group therapy work but it's also like he like kind of writes these as he goes you know and i feel like maybe he because he was admitted basically against his will i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly like it wasn't like a i'm going to therapy in the psych ward i can pack my things and bring them with me it was kind of like you are here now deal with the fallout of how you're doing kind of thing so maybe he didn't have the means to be doing his like journaling and writing because he didn't have it. I mean, you were here now. Deal with it is sort of his whole life. Yeah. Like he wasn't even processing what was going on with him. He said like he didn't even remember anything after he sent the last letter until he had been in the hospital for a while. Which is quite realistic. Like I've been in really dark times and I don't remember them. Like there are weeks in my life that I have completely blacked out and I don't forget things. I'm not a person who forgets. Hashtag trauma. (laughs) It's an anxious attachment (laughs) style. (laughs) I remember all of the things in case you hold them against me. But uh, yeah, like I remember things, but there are days and months even in my life where I have no recollection of anything because I was just in such a survival mode that my body was like, we are literally just existing. Anything else? Background noise. Like we cannot handle it. Stop the tape. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's like, I mean, the book would be longer if he had gone through writing down his therapy feelings you know like i have a therapy notebook it's getting full it's been like three months right so it would be a different book but i don't think it's unrealistic that we don't have those pieces you know yeah and i don't think this book would be better if it was like you know hey kids are you going through something like a weird like book club epilogue sort of you know thing i don't think that prescriptive didactic literature is what we're looking for in this book but i think that people who are going through a lot of the stuff that's in this book might need to maybe take this book super duper slow or with someone to talk about it with like a therapist or us school counselors if you will subtle plug like you know that's i'm part of that crowd now um my therapist tells me um and like it's it's a thing where it's like there's a lot of like this is a rough part of life and then this one is a rough part of life too then you get a suit from your friends then more rough part of your life you know then you get a tape you really like so yeah it's realistic and sometimes in ways that i think might be um hard for people to read i think if I can add to that, it was kind of nice to read it when I read it to see that he could get better. Like we didn't get to see the work, sure. but he could he could move on. He could get through it. And I think the book 
has more of that like a hopefulness that a lot of coming of age novels need because it doesn't have all the hard work that needs to be done. It gives the like, you know, the early 2000, it gets better motto. Sure. You know, I think it, it very much it carries that through in the sense of like, yeah, it's going to suck and there are going to be ebbs and there are going to be flows and it's not going to be great, but you're going to put in the work. I'm not going to tell you what work you're going to do because you have to do that for yourself. I'm a writer. I'm not a therapist. Right. And then you will get better and you will be able to live your life with these experiences that you've had, but still experience a good life. Right. And that's inherently scary for someone who's gone through a shit ton of stuff. Like to be like, it's going to be okay. It's both really fun and extremely terrifying all at once. Yeah. But it's kind of nice to have that hope. Yeah. There is a lot of hope in the story. I was going to ask what similar books everyone recommends, but I think this is a good time to say mine, which is the flip side of this book where it's like all the stuff around him being in the hospital is it's kind of a funny story by Ned Vicini where the whole book is about the main characters in the hospital and like the relationships that he forms there. But yeah, did you guys have any others that you would recommend that are kind of in the vein of this? James, I think yours is probably Catcher in the Rye. Oh, no, no, no. Read Catcher (laughs) in the Rye. It's fine. I would actually reading the books that are recommended by um, the unnamed counselor that is really named Mr. Anderson. He's an English teacher, not a counselor, but he is a counselor in a way. What is a counselor? English teachers are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Anyone is who cares. Uh Weird. Let's explore that. Uh, Reading the books through the lens of like, why did he assign this is a really interesting maneuver. But no, I'm going. Can I do two? Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? Of course. of course. Can I do two after you do yours, Amy, while I look for it on the on my shelf? Uh, yeah, we can we can do that. Um, so I don't actually have a book. I have a movie. Okay. Because I can't think of a book, but I thought of a movie right away. It's The Breakfast Club. Bear with me here. Hmm. It evoked the same feelings inside of me when I watched The Breakfast Club for the first time in grade twelve. <laughs> huh. Okay. I watched it fairly late. This feeling of finding a group of people, even a fleeting one, where you're not all the same, but you're all living this shared experience, whether that be like adolescence or like detention or whatever. And you're all able to like find the sense of community within it. And I think that's what happens with, you know, Patrick and Sam is that they find a sense of community with Charlie where like Mm -hmm. they, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And I think they're part of the village. It takes a village to raise a Charlie. Yeah. They're the village people for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I find that The Breakfast Club has that similar thing of like, you're stuck in detention and it sucks and we can try to get out and like figure out our lives or whatever. But like, it's better if we do it together than alone, you know? And I think a lot of life is just do it together instead of alone. Absolutely. That's all of Stephen King. Do it together instead of alone is literally the entirety of Stephen King's whole thing. Uh, Two, I love watching high school sort of coming of age movies throughout the years, especially after I haven't been in high school, because it is the best, most revelatory way. Like, um, I can't think of what the name of this movie is. The Edge of Seventeen gave me the same feeling. Edge of Seventeen rules for sure. Um, Cockblockers, weirdly enough, was really, really good hmm. too. Booksmart. I didn't have to even type it in. I just thought of it. Booksmart is just such a great movie. And it's this vibe too. Anyways, my two books are Tales of a Punk Rock Nothing and Hairstyles of the Damned. Both are coming of age books in sort of a weird kind of outsider, but also kind of insider way. Um, Dealing with being a kid in high school, trying to sort of navigate that kind of stuff. And uh, Punk Rock Nothing has uh, zines in it, too. So um, that's also in Perks of Being a Wallflower. So I associate these three books very closely with one another. I have a side recommendation. It's called Loser by Jerry Spinelli. Such a good book. Jerry Spinelli rules. Yeah. I read it when I was in elementary school and I reread it in high school because I never gave my copy away because I liked it so much. You mean you stole? (laughs) No, I forgot about it. 
It's fine. Don't get my Catholic guilt into this. But it it resonated with me because I was always that weird kid, you know, like I picked rocks as a hobby. And I, I think it's rare that you find a book that, you know, you think back at and you carry those kinds of like feelings with you every time you think about it. And that's one of the books that I think for kids, it's an easy one to get into to how to treat people with kindness. Maniac McGee and Stargirl, also by Jerry Spinelli, are also that. Um, Maniac McGee, I've read a bajillion times, and I love it very much. Um, it's probably the book I've read most of my life. So It's an amazing book. Plus, it teaches you how to get knots undone, which is like really important. Use a fork. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm actually not going to take advice on using tools to get things undone from you. I actually, that's what I learned from, uh, from uh, my interactions with you so far. <laughs> That's that's fair, honestly. <laughs> like you have to understand, I am I'm barely holding myself together. Use a fork, lose an eye is what I'm hearing. Um. <laughs> and that's been clean language with James. <laughs> Oh, this book. The music in this book is also really good. Um, my friend Erin mm-hmm. made me a, a CD of the music in this book when that was a really tough thing to do because she had to use like Audio Galaxy and stuff because it was <sighs> the late 90s, early 2000s. And a CD burner. CD burner. Nothing official like iTunes or whatever. She was literally, and she's not a music person. So she's sort of like the version of Asleep isn't the Smiths because she had nothing to go on because she's not a music person primarily. And so it's a, and it, what a sweet gesture. But the music in this book is on point. So check it out. They have Spotify playlists of the various things like the mixtape that he made for Patrick. Kids these days. And then also there's one of like the mixtape plus all the music that he mentions plus all the music from the movie. Yeah. What a, what an age we live in. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> the other thing we always do is a rating scale. So I'll give us a rating scale on a scale of like a dinky little dandelion growing out of the wall to like a beautiful purple bellflower growing out of the wall. How would you rate this book? The purpose of being a wallflower. I think, so we went to a fancy university. I think it's like the ivy that grew on the manor at university. It's a very resilient book. It stays put even in the harshest of times in the sense of like a lot of harsh things happen but like you know it's still it gets to like the happy ending much like how ivy survives the winter and then grows again in the spring and it's a little damaging like ivy does damage buildings that's on and the book does leave some scars on your psyche Mm -hmm. uh so i think that's uh that's my rating i like it not a wallflower at all I'm kind of mad because I was also going to say vines, but I forgot the word for ivy. So your answer is just better and smarter than my same answer. And you went first. So that's embarrassing. Um, Yeah, because it's like moving and we like go through the ups and downs and Ivy's like very windy. And it's also like very steadfast, like it anchors itself into the wall and it stays there. And And this book like anchors itself into your mind and your heart and it stays there. And like, it's not just that it's quotable. It's that like the quotes that are quotable, like really mean something to people. Like we accept the love we think we deserve means something to so many people and is probably like the most memorable quote I've ever read in a book. And I think also like it's it's multi-generational not to call James out about his age or whatever but like yeah yeah back in my day you went to high school at a different time than we did yeah for sure you kids. and we, we both experienced it like at the same time in our lives very viscerally and it, it stayed true so I think you know it latches on yeah yeah mine is a complex one it's a complex answer we can look at that as like a decimal place or whatever we love that this book is uh painting a set for a play of a field of dandelions while you're in a field of dandelions. (laughs) 
so that you can know what you're supposed to be painting because it's both there's like a, a reflective nature of it like reality versus what you're seeing there's two dimensionality versus three dimensionality dandelions are like weeds but like they're kind of gorgeous sort of deals but they you know crop up and people are like oh these damn kids i mean dandelions are like <laughs> getting everywhere with their pot smoking and stuff um <laughs> pot doing pot do yeah they're, they're doing all the pot <laughs> dandelions the stonerest of weeds <laughs> Which you wouldn't think would be true because of weed, but like um, it's actually dandelions. No, but like there's a sort of brightness to dandelions that I think is like I think like little kids really like dandelions because like look at that friggin yellow flower. It's look how yellow. And I think that this book in it sort of like you can be a weed and a pretty yellow flower at the same time is sort of something that really I find very valuable. And also my friends find incredibly frustrating talking to me about absolutely anything about because I'm like, but what if they're a dandelion? And they're like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I think that's, that's also interesting if I can add because dandelions become really fragile later in their life cycles, right? Like they go wherever they want to go afterwards, but like you blow on them and they scatter. Right. So I think there's also something to be said there about like the fragility of adolescence and like planting far reaching seeds sort of deal. Yeah, like, for sure. I love this English podcast, this English class podcast, because I have missed saying really, really ridiculous things like that yeah. for a long time. That's what we're here for. It's why we started the podcast. We were like, we're getting dumb. We need to do something with this. Yeah. <laughs> I love that image because, yeah, there's so many angles to it because like he notices everything. And I feel like young people are so observant of everything around them and they appreciate it and he appreciates it. And like when I was young, I appreciate dandelions all the time i was like oh these are like this is so nice it's dandelion season yeah and then all the adults would be like "Ugh," you know yeah and i feel like the things that he's appreciating are like things that you can really only appreciate as a teen mm -hmm. i mean not really because we also appreciate them, right but it's something that's more likely to be appreciated as a young person who's going through it who's got all these hormones like the smiths yeah <laughs> morrissey deserves to be on blast um, yeah, no, absolutely. For, for sure. Just real quick tip. If you ever, I don't know what your living situations are, but if you ever have a lawn and feel bad about how the lawn hasn't been mowed or whatever, if you look at lawns as a classist, ridiculous cultural thing that is stupid and uh, is for rich people, it makes you feel a lot more punk rock for not feeling like mowing the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tip from me to you. I love that tip because when I don't have landlords that I need to mow the lawn for, I will be rewilding my yard. Yeah. Landlords are notoriously anti-punk rock so yeah we've had a previous rating that was like rate this on a scale of like grass i think it was like the grass is always greener or something leaves of grass uh -huh. weeds of grass weeds of grass weeds of grass the famous walt whitman poetry book that famous stoner book stoner walt whitman <laughs> And I said that I would want it to be carrots. Interesting. Oh, no, this this was a separate word conversation. But I, anyways, <laughs> carrots or clover are my things because carrots look like grass and they're plush and they're green and you can just have food. But also clover yeah. is good for groundhogs. Anyways, it's fine. I'm having a fun time. I love that song, Carrots and Clover, too. That's a good one. <laughs> Crimson and Clover. That's a Tommy James and the Chandels reference. I got it. Thanks. <laughs> Amy James and the Chandels. Yeah. I love that. That's the name of the of our group right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think that was like the longest episode we've ever done, but it felt like it went very quickly. I've been on a podcast. <laughs> That's how you know. It's the longest episode we've recorded. It should be a shirt I wear whenever I'm on a podcast because that's a little bit what I bring. And I, I would apologize, but I'm a uh, treasure. So like, I mean, how? 
half of this was also a therapy session, so <laughs> yeah. it's fine. We're getting our money's worth, which is nothing. We don't. The new Patreon. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Would you like to share? The places on the internet where you would like people to find you. Sure, I'll talk more. Um, <laughs> Three hours later. <laughs> when I first got the internet... No, I'm joking. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I don't talk as much there as I do when people are engaging me and laughing at my jokes. It's at Unabashed James, which is a reference to a podcast that no longer exists, but does exist on Spotify. If you want to check it out, it's Unabashedly Obsessed. Why am I plugging one that doesn't exist? I'm also on a, sh- on a show called Timeline Scavenger with my friend Colin. It's an MCU podcast. Well, it's an MCU as we define it because there are some shows that we refuse to allow to be decanonized. And it's good and it's ridiculous because it's scene by scene or day by day because things take a long time when you're doing TV scenes in a timeline order. Like an episode about a flashback takes place when the flashback flashes back to. And then later you get the thing that's happening when they flash back. It's ridiculous and fantastic. And I say that because it's a concept that I still can't believe I get to do and that Colin has continued to agree to let me do uh, this ridiculous... It was literally I tricked him into doing a podcast because I was doing this on independently and letting all my podcasts slip. And then I was like, what if I made him do a podcast with me? I also do a By the Minute podcast series with my friend Aaron. We've done Newsies, the Britney Spears movie Crossroads, Can't Hardly Wait, and She's All That. We have our next movie picked out and all dibsed up. We haven't recorded it yet. It's going to be a movie that I've mentioned on this show. So there's a clue. Ooh. And then I also do other stuff. We have a follow-up with Listen, I if I do a podcast or I'm a guest on a podcast, I'll tweet about it on Unabashed James. So look for me there. What's your live journal? Uh, it is <laughs> James is a dork dot live journal dot com. I'm not a, I'm not ashamed at all. I'll, I'll put I'll get you links for the for my <laughs> perks of being a wallflower movie anticipation. I don't even care. We'll stick it in the show notes. Uh, listen, I'll go find it. I'll take pictures <laughs> of my journals. I have them right here. My very confusing say no to drugs. But what's the don't mean uh, <laughs> sticker that I've had on? <laughs> I have no shame when it comes to that. That's why I'm a podcaster. Podcasting. Say to no drugs. Don't say no to not. Don't say. mm. (laughs) And that's why it's on my journal. Because it's complicated. Like this book. Yeah. Perks of being a wallflower. Imagine what is touch the drugs. Oh, no. Okay. So thank you for coming, James. It's been great having you on the podcast. (laughs) And if you want to find us, we're at Unsighted Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much. And everyone else, we hope to see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. You can have this is the longest episode we've ever done on your shirt. And I will I would apologize, but I'm not going to on your hat. I like it. Then I have to wear both. So it becomes like a uniform. Yeah. And maybe like a name tag. Love that. (laughs) That way people know what my name is. Yeah. (laughs)